Hey everyone, this is Dan Albert again. Welcome back to the Classics uh, Pod thing. You may remember me from be being the second Dan ever hired by the fight site, unlike that other one who quote-unquote retired until he saw Cater's soul get taken twice over. Now, speaking of that person, uh, unlike Dan Martin, I am unattractive. But unlike him, I also have good opinions about Yoel Romero. And you know, at least when I get burnt out... I don't go on about bad video games all the time instead. You know, whatever. Uh, anyways, with me today are the usual Haxerized and uh, Iggy. How are both of you today? I think they died. Somebody help me. Conspiring not to talk. We want to make you fuck up. It's That's, that's how it works. No, I am good. Um, I'm not sure how, how Iggy's feeling, but... You know, I mean, lockdown is over in Melbourne, so life is bearable. Hungover, as always. The usual. Mm. Yeah, it'd be that's like the, that. That's how it'd be on this bitch of an earth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, as you can see, we're all clearly a fucking mess and a half, so this is going to be one hell of a ride. Um Unfortunately, so for today's episode, we got a bit of a slight, um, slight marathon for um, the man himself, the man who uh, made his own grill. Oh, sorry, never mind. He was a boxer named George Foreman, who is uh, he, he punched really fucking hard, you know. Um, and so we're going to be doing three fights of his. Um, his first fight with Joe Frazier, his fight with Ken Norton, and then we're finishing off with one of the greatest shootouts I think you'll ever see with his fight with Ron Lyle. And, um, yeah, George Foreman, what can we say about him, fellas? He's the genius behind the George Foreskin grill. <laughs> we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna watch George Foreskin grill off some foreskins for his grill. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that's what it is. <laughs> this is uh this is going to be us just uh marathoning our way through several fights where Foreman just uh, blows someone out the water. Either either without trouble or with some mild trouble, but because he's a freak, he'll just uh, uh find his way back into the fight and since his win condition is just to bang someone out with one punch or maybe several uh, that's what that, that's what's going to happen because he genuinely did possess it's, like insane attributes. You know, it's it's oh, crazy. Oh. It, it's like if you look this up, it, it, George Foreman. Like, I know we've established like that he punches pretty hard, and I'll get back to that in a minute. But the guy was also ludicrously strong. Like, there is footage of him literally lifting a fucking cow out and just carrying it like. He's he's a freak, and it's just terrifying. Like it, it, I I don't even know how to emphasize enough. It's like um, he he's a contender for like the hardest puncher ever in boxing history. Like I, he's considered by many to be the hardest puncher. It's just, uh, it's insane. On the subject of power, you can frequently uh, come across discussions that uh, emphasize that. Power is different for every boxer. That there is crushing power, there is numbing power, there is power that uh, creates flash knockouts and flash knockdowns. That's just you know the sudden type of power. Foreman had all of these types, 
He could knock you out in the first round. He could knock you out late in the fight. He could knock you out in exchanges, knock you out from just piling it on over the course of the fight. Really, like, if Foreman hit you, it would, uh, with anything, it would always have some sort of an effect. Regardless of how he connected, he could make your arms go dead by punching them, punching you on the guard. He could make your body crumble by uh, uh, throwing a single combination to the body. And, uh, and uh, he could just plain run you over whenever he, if, whenever he wished, really. If you provided you didn't offer him uh, either some kind of... If you provided if you didn't possess some sort of attribute yourself or you were the superior boxer and uh, the latter and the former weren't really all that necessarily, you know, reliable when you were facing this guy. I would also add that in when when people think about George Foreman who are not, shall we say, well acquainted with the boxing game, a lot of the way he is seen is very much... Uh, he punched himself out on Ali and got beaten, which is in itself a huge, you know, um, it's a simplification of that fight. But yeah. by understanding that Foreman had tremendous power and was a surprisingly underrated ring general and cutter of the ring, which, you know, we're kind of hoping that this, um, for lack of a better word, career exploration will show you. We're kind of hoping that you as viewers can get an understanding that Foreman's craft was a little underrated and maybe give you an idea of why what Ali did was actually so important and impressive because Ali managed to disarm a guy who could kill you by hitting you in the body until you fell over, hitting you in the arm until your arm fell over, or just, you know, separating your spirit from the earth with one punch at the right time. It's, um, so I wrote an article about a featherweight great by the name of Sandy Sadler and, um, a lot of Sadler's style is influential in Foreman's game. The ring cutting, the right of work, the use of raw power, but they're kind of different in how they operate. So if you've read my piece on Sadler, I wrote a lot about how he likes to corral guys and then like be willing to like set them up for attritional work. Foreman's kind of different. Foreman kind of likes to cut you off in the same way, catch shots on his forearms uh, with kind of a long guard, so to speak. But he wants to like set you up for that big moment like he's a guy who like draws your responses and then like sets you up for the big one but he can still do little things like touch you here or there but yeah he is a very very terrifying opponent because not only is he a stupid puncher like um i think the best way i've heard described him is that he just has power that just moves you and it not only that but he's just freakishly strong and you'll see what that's kind of like, I think, with the Norton fight, especially. Um, but just everything about Foreman is just, he's one of the most terrifying opponents I think heavyweight has ever seen. And that, that word, sorry, that phrase, set up, I think is something that everybody that's, you know, decides to watch this along with us should really pay attention to. There's a lot of people in mixed martial arts in particular that can hit hard can hit really fucking hard but you watch foreman and you gain an appreciation for how much further your power goes when you can set it up there's always uh um 
Well, it's been already established by my colleagues that uh, Foreman's craft was always underappreciated and uh, underplayed due to the uh, the aforementioned Ali fight. Uh, the thing about the Ali fight is that uh, the TLDR is that Ali had to work really hard to get the knockout as he did, and uh, it was uh, an example of a well implemented game plan that uh, worked about uh, worked around limiting Foreman's power, limiting uh, the exchanges that Foreman could take on his own terms. And this is an important part of Foreman. He always sets up these exchanges on his own terms. He doesn't... He, well, he can just steamroll people, but he also uh, utilized intelligence, intelligent cage... Cut, cage uh, ring, fuck's sake. Ring cutting! <laughs> <laughs> Intelligent ring cutting and intelligent pressuring footwork, and he utilized his guard in a way that allowed him to actually get the knockouts. That's what that that's what we what we mean by setting up it's, the punches. It's, to give an analogy, um, the other big puncher in heavyweight history is often considered Shavers, and Shavers kind of had a different kind of power, like kind of more like explosive kind of power, but like. Shavers doesn't have, say, the craft in, like, his setups and, like, corralling people the way Foreman did. And that's kind of a reason Foreman is, A, greater, and B, more accomplished as opposed to what Shavers is, even though Shavers was extremely dangerous himself. Yeah, uh, so I think uh, we've established fairly well what uh, sort of a beast Foreman is. And uh, if you want to if you want to know more about Foreman, uh, about his history, about what sort of person he was, and uh, what sort of sort of person he is, <laughs> you, I would um, there's uh, uh, a document documentary that's literally just called Foreman that uh, examines that uh, that part of him fairly well. I'd say uh, just go and watch that. This. Uh, uh, this podcast is going to be more concerned with the fights themselves. Uh, but uh, you, you can't just, as any other person, you can't just summarize Foreman as a, neither as a person or a, a boxer in uh, a few minutes. So I think uh, I'm going to refer you to that, and I think we can get it on, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, first one we'll be watching is Foreman versus Frasia. Uh, the account is DJ Gravity. Um, I'm going to count down from three, and as soon as I say go, go ahead and press play. Um, it'll be about a ten-minute video, a little over ten minutes. But, uh, all right, so three, two, uh, wait, wait, one. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> What's the what? video? <laughs> What's the George, channel? George Foreman versus Joe Frazier. One. No, 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 no. <laughs> Who's hosting the video? Um, What's the channel? What's DJ Gravity. DJ Gravity. All right. All right. Yeah, it's DJ Gravity. Okay. So whatever. Three, two, one. Here we goes. So going into this fight, I think it's really important to establish that. Um. So Foreman has. Um, Undefeated, and he's going against Joe Frazier, and Frazier is coming off of that first Ali fight, where fight like fight of the century, baby, fight of the fucking century, and actually like lives up to that name. Um, 
where like he took a shit ton of punishment, but he won one of the greatest victories ever. But like Joe himself isn't like at his peak here, but like he's still like the number one heavyweight in the world, and so he's like considered kind of right for it. Um, but even then, like this fight kind of proves that Foreman is kind of all wrong for Frazier in many ways. It's um, and and it's kind of terrifying just what he does to Frazier in this one. I think a a phrase that has been thrown around a lot um, by people who are a bit more academic in the study of boxing, I think Lee Wiley uses it a lot. I know Jack Slack has used it once or twice. They talk about uh, Foreman's skills in manipulation, and I think that's a really good way to approach thinking about this fight. Instead of thinking George Foreman have big punch, George Foreman scare people with big punch, think about how George Foreman manipulates Fraser to murder him. <laughs> yeah, uh, those things we mentioned before about uh, Foreman's long guard and his use of pressuring footwork, pay close attention to what he does here with regards to that, specifically. And, and I think in particular, focus on, um, focus on the, the Foreman and uppercut. I mean... You know, it it, it had. You should notice this, and even the first couple of minutes of this fight, Fraser's standing upright a lot more than you would expect out of Fraser if you know his fights and you know his style. Yeah. So Fraser Fraser often likes to pursue because he uses a lot of head movement, upper body movement, to create his pressure and to like set up his shots, especially his fucking left hook from hell. But it's like. Against Foreman, who kind of stands like kind of upright with the long guard, like there's a bit of a distance that he has to cover, and so it's kind of a very very dangerous kind of game against Foreman. Yeah, maybe another thing to think about, and this will this will come in a bit more in the Norton fight, but many people are dismissive of wide arcing punches, right? Like they're not tight technical form, they're lazy, they're sloppy. But Foreman always had a great arcing right that he would use to pin people in place, particularly on, on, the, um, on the ropes. You'll see that a lot more in the Norton fight. But again, in this Fraser fight, think about, you know, wide looping punches and how they can be used to pin people in place, particularly to set up power shots or limit their mobility. Or, you know, if you've got an uppercut from hell ready for... A, a fun fact that uh, Foreman himself points out in his uh, documentary is that during the stare-down you know, with uh, Joe Frazier, he was thinking about, God, I hope Joe Frazier doesn't look down because he'll see that my knees were shaking. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, think about that for a second. Uh, this is a giant of a man that's... Uh, that is now going to demolish Joe Frazier just comprehensively. And right away, he's using arcing blows that Hax mentioned. And right away, there was yeah. the left hook. There's, and yeah, now there's the, like the frames Foreman's using off of the long guard. Like the long guard really benefits from like being able to touch guys and control them. And notice how Foreman's already like turning and catching those shots. Like, and he's always look like, how he, look at how he pulls uh, at the, at the fists of Frazier right away, establishing his own distance and manipulating him by physically oh, shoving him around. Yeah. And Frazier's having the stand-up. 
it also gives an interesting insight into how Ali would give Fraser, should, so, uh, sorry, not Fraser, uh, Foreman such trouble. Because a big part of what makes Foreman a great fighter is he can use his physicality, the pushing, the shoving, the knowledge to control the pace of the fight. Foreman likes very much to proceed at his own pace as a comparatively young and experienced fighter, which he kind of is in this fight in a lot of ways. I like how Foreman just kind of shoves him there. It's like, why not just use that? At like, if I'm going to touch you, I might as well just shove you too and push you against those ropes. I do note that using, like, by physically framing on uh, Frazier's head, he's also limiting his head movement. And the uppercut limits mm -hmm. the head movement in another way that by yep. making him stand more upright. Look at how yeah, upright like... he stands. And that opens up the jab and also the framing. Another thing is, like, what, what Timon's talking about, opening up, setting up, none of this needs to be done particularly quickly. Like, some fighters, some very good fighters with impressive hand speed will oh. do... Oh, now oh, the man. first knockdown comes. Down goes Frazier! Yeah. And, and this the, th the thing is about Foreman's setups, they don't need to be done quickly, they need to be done with purpose. And you can just yeah, see it's... Fraser short-circuiting against it. Yeah, like Foreman's Talking been right. that head head Dance movement. Frazier. Like he's been, like notice how he's using the hooks to make Frazier like dip, and that's what's allowing him to set up those uppercuts or like jab him back. Like he'll just break rhythm and then push him back. Yeah, it yeah. looks like Foreman is just going to town, going nuts, but he's actually using blows that are that work well oh. together in a combination. Like right it's there, also, he kind of turned it into a shovel hook, so like it timed Frazier's dip perfectly. It, it's also interesting in a way. He's not trying to discourage Fraser from dipping per se. He's almost encouraging him to dip harder and deeper because it just makes the impacts more devastating. He's kind of, in a sense, beating oh. Fraser oh. by encouraging him to be more of himself, which is you know the right way to approach fighting. Well, he knows he's a, he's a bad matchup for Frazier, and that's what he does. He, he lets Frazier to be himself in order to, you know, exploit his weaknesses better and habits better. Massive left hook by Foreman. Oh. And look at, how, look at how relaxed Foreman is. Like, compare that to some of the greatest mixed martial arts fighters ever who have shown tremendous poise. They, they, don't sh they chase. They freak out. They short circuit. Foreman's just like, yeah, whatever. You know, it's just another day at the office. No three knockdown rule in this fight, too. So honestly, like if that was there, this would have been stopped already. But yeah, look at that. Like he turns the jab into a collar tie and then gets that dip and then boom, there's the uppercut. And the pacing, too. It's not rushing. It's giving Fraser opportunity to work, to overreact for his brain to short circuit before the next part comes in. Sometimes the best way to beat the opponent is to let them do the work for you. Yeah, like, and not just that, but, like, have the opponent, like, think they're kind of establishing their own, like, rhythm and comfort, because Frazier likes to mix in all those upper body feints and head movements, so it's like, why not just let him do that, but kind of in a directionality where I can set him up? Bang, bang, bang. And uh, a lot of people consider Foreman to be a bit of a plodder with his footwork, but uh, you don't really see that in, uh, in this fight. He may be plodding on the front foot, but that's because he doesn't need to rush things. Whenever he needs to actually pivot around for, uh, Frazier, he does that. And he one looks thing, very fluid there. One thing I also oh, want to mention... Right. One thing I also want to mention is, like, 
Frazier's the guy who likes to go forward, and all and Foreman hasn't let him go forward like consistently once without countering or jabbing him. And now he's been backing Frazier up consistently into that corner where Frazier doesn't have a lot of options. Oh, oh, God. down you go. No, Mr. Frazier, it is time for you to die. Yeah, so now it's time for Foreman to, like, put in that work to try to put Frazier away. Like, he knows he's got Joe where he wants him, and now he's, like, putting a beating on him. Oh. God. Yeah, and it's... Yeah, and ref stops it. Joe's done. I think in terms of ultra-specific technicalities, it's kind of difficult to nail too much in this fight because there's so much happening at once. Again, I think Lee Wiley has a really nice video called like something about George Foreman and manipulation, which slows down a few of these um, exchanges. But maybe to just uh, build on something that was mentioned earlier about the plotting nature, well, you know, that that's a comment that's made about Foreman. One thing I would say here is that it's that trope, which I think Jack Slack has actually mentioned, you know, um, slow is smooth, smooth is fast. Are there points in Foreman's career where he is definitely guilty of being a little plodding? Yes. But when he's constantly moving, not quickly, but just in a sense of having purpose, it doesn't matter too much if you're plotting. It's kind of like how Canelo has definitely had plotting footwork at points in his career, but as he's grown as a fighter and as he's increased his intelligence and his experience, he's still able to always be doing something useful, if that makes any sense. And as long as you're doing something useful, even if your feet are a bit slow, you'll still make everybody else look like a fool. You'll get there eventually. If, you're new, if you know what you're, what you're doing with your footwork, and you actually try to a accomplish some sort of a goal, it doesn't really matter how long it takes you to get there, as long as you get there. And that's what mm. Foreman is all about. And, Boxing's and that's not a sprint, or it doesn't have to be. Yeah, it's, it's especially evident in his later career, his uh, career comeback, where that is emphasized by his age and the fact that he's, uh, he's become even slower, if, uh, if that's a thing. Mm. But uh, he had to emphasize certain strengths that he already possessed, namely his dur insane durability and his punching power and his craft. Uh. Yeah, I don't have much else to add. I think, like, again, it needs to be emphasized, that was Joe Frazier he erected. Frazier who, like, took out Ali, and, you know, it's it speaks for itself just even, like, contextually, even if it ended up being a bad matchup, but that is ridiculously terrifying, because, like, Frazier also kept getting up, and it's just like, that wasn't competitive at all. It was a slaughter. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, an important uh, thing I pointed out in the beginning, that Foreman psychologically himself, he knew what sort of a beast Frazier is, and he was terrified of Frazier. He himself admitted to that. But when he, when he went to work, and he kept doing the things that he was trained to do, and he, he, was, he kept... That's what separates Foreman from a lot of, uh, well, MMA fighters and uh, <laughs> yeah, and uh, the fact that uh, Foreman just uh, possesses the sort of poise about about himself, and that's what's so significant about the Ali fight was that the Ali was able to disrupt that poise and make Foreman chase him, make Foreman punch himself out. 
That's what's so significant about that. So, and that Ali deviated from his usual plan in intelligent ways to do it, like the prevalence of right-hand leads in the fight to disorientate Foreman's sense of timing and control of the fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So speaking of Ali, that kind of leads us to the next one. So George Foreman versus Ken Norton. And um, yeah. speaking of people is, who beat Ali... This is the fight that made people think that the Foreman versus Ali fight is going to be a, another slaughter. Because... Ali had tremendous trouble fighting Norton because Norton was able to jab with Ali and uh, famously he broke Ali's jaw. Yeah, so it's like Ken Norton is um, just this physical specimen, super strong, really, really tough, incredibly good at like reading situations and like gave Ali all he could trouble in like a jab Massive battle. reach on him. Massive yeah. wingspan on that guy. Yeah, and just, like, very, very physical. Like, even, like, five years after this fight with, like, Foreman, like, he goes toe-to-toe with Holmes in, like, one of the best heavyweight fights ever. And so it's, like, Norton was, like, and also just really awkward with the cross-arm guard, just, like, a deceptively, like, dangerous fighter and really, really good. Norton's a good example of a fighter where I think you could legitimately say he was limited by his chin because... Great fighter, but if you were able to put together a plan to touch him and you could really touch him, he his effectiveness as a as a fighter, you know, fell off. And I think that this this Norton fight is incredibly important to watch because a lot of people, again, when they think about Ali vs. Foreman, they don't understand I guess, for lack of a better word, the mentality of people coming into that fight. Because we look at it now and we say, well, oh, yes, you know, Foreman kind of didn't show a great deal of emotional or or, or mental toughness coming into the Ali fight. Like, we've got a lot of hindsight where we can talk about the weaknesses in Foreman's style and we can say, well, of course Ali beat him. It makes perfect sense. But at the fucking time, Foreman had made Fraser look like he didn't belong in the top 20 and he had was unsolvable to Norton, a fighter who perhaps more than any other fighter in the division at the time, you could say was a solver of problems. Like this fight gives you some real context as to why people felt Ali was going to be so outmatched. Yeah. uh, uh, To bring the topic to logistics somewhat, Dan, do you have this in a playlist or I have it in a I have it in a playlist, so um, yeah, it's it's still on that sync tube link. Um, so yeah, is this uh, playlist on your channel? Have you do you have it saved on your channel where no. our listeners can access it? Okay, so uh, I guess I guess we can do it uh, after the fact. <laughs> yeah. Uh, either way, uh, yeah. What's... Well, yeah. So this one, uh, the title of the video is George Foreman versus Ken Norton, and gives the date. Uh, the channel's name is Levi Johansson, uh, and then parentheses Prime Boxers. The video is exactly eight minutes long. Um, as soon as you get that pulled up, um, I'm going to go ahead and start it. Um, three, two, one, go. All right. Axon Iggy, do you have it? Yeah. Yep. All right. We're 10 seconds in. ESPN Classic logo in the upper Imagine right Imagine being a fan of some of these fighters and watching Norton, some a fighter as good as Norton, just get killed in you know this little time. Yeah, and in this fight, Foreman doesn't have uh, his uh, coat on because, fun fact, uh, in his previous fights, there, there has been 
his corner ran into some trouble trying to get the coat off him. Because <laughs> his arms were so massive. Just a jacked, just a jacked young lad from, you know, from, from the paunch. Yeah, so you can see right away Norton's a little awkward, like how he uses a cross-arm guard. He's constantly, like, willing to touch Foreman, too. Really, like, hand fight yeah. and, and, like, kind of leans down. It's like, yeah, he, he doesn't also, have that. Also, notice his uh, stance. Norton is about the same height as Foreman, roughly, yet his, his stance makes him so much lower than... He, he, then his height would suggest. Foreman is always I, I think, very I think upright. This fight right now is already demonstrating like Foreman's feet at work. Like if you watch like Foreman's feet here, he didn't have to do this against Frazier, but watch how he's pressuring like very small steps and then like fainting with that rear hand. Yeah, to draw, whenever like... whenever Norton moves in a significant way from side to side, Foreman takes this relatively big step to the side. Immediately to stay in front of uh, Norton. Also, note in the hand fighting, Foreman is again almost as procedural and as I'm not going to say relaxed, but it's, it's kind of on his own pace as you know, as uh, as his feet are. There's a there's a, I think an interesting sense of that. He's not letting Norton like sit at his feet Massive to like get the guys. initiative. Oh, and look at look at look at those look at that work on the fit on the on the ropes. Look at Not how he jabs. Wide. Look at how he jabs. Norton utilizes that this Blackburn crouch where he, his uh, rear hand covers from the jab, and so Foreman threatens the hook and then sort of throws this up jab to snap uh, Norton's head back. And right now he's punching the body, utilizing intercepting strikes, wide arcing right hooks. Yeah, yeah and, and like he's disrupting rhythm too. Like every time like Norton's trying to get set, like he either hand fights with his rear hand to Norton's lead hand or just jabs him and then mixes in those little hooks. Like the telegraph to like hook upstairs and downstairs is really similar. So Norton's not sure what's coming next. Um is it Lucas who talks more about jabbing with a jabber of, of the brothers? Or I, I think it is. Um, yeah. Norton is a great example of somebody who's very proficient at jabbing with the jabber. Yeah. And this is what messed with the Ali so much, because Ali is a famously good jabber, and he was very proud of his jab. And because Norton was able to jab with him, it's, it's what uh, gave him so much trouble in their previous fight. Yeah, like, Norton's jab is proficient enough to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with, like, Ollie and Holmes in terms of jabbing, but, like, Foreman's not letting him jab at all. Like, he's trying to catch that, and then he jabs as well. He, he physically covers uh, Norton's gloves with his own gloves. He kind of tries to meet the punches halfway to not let the punches come through at all. He puts, them, he puts his own hands on the biceps, puts his own hands on the gloves. Just he, a very handsy sort of guard. Which, uh, An educated way to be big and square. Yeah, pretty much. And that means that some of the strikes are actually getting through, but uh, that's uh, because uh, Foreman already interfered with the rhythm and the ability to punch. They're not really as damaging as they could be, could have been. And uh, <laughs> given Foreman's insane chin, <laughs> it's also not really a concern either way. You may be thinking right now, well, what about, like, Norton threatening the rear hand? Well, think about where Norton's, like, rear hand is. Like, it's up as kind of a guard. And here it doesn't really work that well because, 
like he would have to like reset it and he's like actively looking to use it as a defensive tool so like turning it into an offensive tool means he, his own guard kind of gets taken away and he's not yeah, really used to doesn't that. help either like the timing timing it timing a rear hand from his crouch on somebody like foreman who's already so proficient at hand fighting it, it it's just awkward it doesn't feel intuitive at all yeah, it's like Foreman here, like, pl trying to play the pitch and catch game of Foreman's not how you go about it. Like, like Foreman's long guard, like, leaves him open, like, strikes over the top, but you kind of have to control it in a different way. Not like yeah, playing the, the catch. The idea behind the Blackburn crouch is that uh, your rear hand stand, uh, is in front of your chin to protect from the jab. And uh, because your fist is out there, it uh, kind of makes uh, throwing straight, ramrod straight, uh, uh, right straights. Uh, well, it uh, facilitates throwing quick, uh, sharp uh, straights as opposed to overhands. So naturally, it's not as easy to accomplish against Foreman with his guard. Yeah, and it's like it's also hard because Foreman's cutting off the ring so well against Norton too. So it's like every time Norton like takes a step, Foreman beats it. And if it's too far out, then Foreman commits to that jab. Like his jab yeah. isn't better, but like then he does little things like that. Look at that yeah. right hand. Oh. Multiple right hands in a row, and that's it. Maybe to add something there, it, it really hits on something. While Norton may be a better jabber in every aspect, a part of why, you know, and that even in itself is arguably a stretch. Norman just teleports from outside the frame to kill Norton. Oh. Just... Yes. <laughs> um, I, for what Foreman did really well here in terms of, for lack of a better word, anti-jabbing um, with his jab, he recognized um, that a big, um, part of <laughs> a big part of why Norton jabs in the way he does is he wants to use his own jab to create a sense of space and comfort. So, you know, Foreman might not have, quote-unquote, been winning the jab wars in a perfectly technical sense, but he was winning in the sense of his jab. Foreman come from? <laughs> just teleports so much. <laughs> oh Jesus! Look at how Foreman is positioned on That's the ropes. Yeah, half uppercut, half jab. Draws the uppercut. Comes with the wide arcing right. But yeah, like sometimes it's okay to engage in a battle that you're losing in a tactical sense or that you might not be easily mm. winning in a tactical sense if it accomplishes a strategic goal. This was yeah, a lot of Habib's striking. Yeah, look, once again, catches him with a wide arcing right that looks kind of untechnical, but he catches him. And now he shifts into southpaw. Right hook, right uppercut. And shout Another out to uppercut. the... Shout out to the um to the stance switch being something that was, for lack of a better word, disguised by inaction, so to speak. You know, it was it was happening in a situation where it wasn't forced. Yeah, he just he saw Norton circling out, and uh, he shifted to the to the side that would allow him to the stance that would allow him to inter intercept him. That's really all there is to it. Really natural way to shift. And uh, that's why shifting is uh, considered to be a good thing for a pressure fighter to know how to pull off. Yeah, shifting, like, you kind of have to know when to do it. It's why, like, Hagler was, like, the master of shifting, because it's, like, if you're going to use shifting, it needs to be done to, like, take angles or to, like, be in a position where you're not going to get hit. Because shifting, like, will make you, like, cross your feet out of stance. 
and it makes it easy to catch you. But if you're able to time it, especially if the other guy is like repositioning where you can make that dominant angle, then shifting is an ideal way to go and to close that gap. Okay, to summarize, what made Foreman such a bad matchup for Norton in this uh, particular fight? What made made it so hard for Norton to employ his usual uh, employ his usual tools? I think, think comfort in the in the hand fighting, like you know, cu- comfort in the hand fighting and in the clinch situations Norton presented, and Foreman, you know, let's let's call a spade a spade. Uh, Foreman was a thunderous hitter, and Norton was not the sort of fighter who took that kind of thunderous hitting particularly well. I yeah, think and, uh, uh, I I would also add that uh, Norton often benefited from being kind of the more physical guy a lot. And Foreman was one guy he couldn't, like, bully physically at all. Yeah, and one thing I would like to point out is the stance, once again. Norton stands very, uh, very low. He fights from a crouch, and his stance is very bladed. And when you're being pressured, staying in a bladed stance doesn't really facilitate circling out uh, very well. Or at all, really. And so... You saw it when, whenever Norton got caught uh, uh, on the ropes, uh, he became he squared up, but he didn't really circle out in a really like intelligent or uh, necessarily safe way. And the foreman w- was able to employ his intercepting tools with uh, pretty much zero problem there, zero issue. And if uh, Norton was uh, more adept at outfighting. Because Norton was really a sort of a neutral space kind of guy. And he, he liked to exchange in the center of uh, of the ring and kind of do the jab with the jabber sort of thing. And uh, throw these really sharp, really quick right hands from his crouch. And here, uh, Foreman manipulated his guard because his uh, right hand was in front of him. He hooked in order to bring the uh, right hand back to his chin. So And uh, that opened up the jab and that opened up the pressuring tools. So really, uh, just uh, just another example of how really uh, that Foreman was way more crafty than most people's idea of him generally tends to be. Yeah, and I think another part is that Foreman's ring cutting system was more than just punch or feet. It was kind of a synesthetic combination of both, the way he used his punches and the way he used his feet. And it kind of created a ring cutting system that is greater than the sum of its parts. I think that I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's something both Ollie from the fight site and Lee Wiley have really hit on when they talk about Foreman, Kyle too. Um, so if you're able to really get into a specific wheelhouse of Foreman's operations, so be it the punches he's throwing or the feet, you try and disrupt one part of that system, you can kind of break the whole system down, which is in a lot of ways what Ali did. The combination of the right-hand leads and rope-a-dope really fucked with Foreman's punches, part of his anti-ring, uh, you know, his anti-ring movement equation. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, while his uh, ring-cutting footwork was... Fairly, fairly good, way better than many people give give him credit for. But it it was still not a be all end all for him. It had to the, work in tandem with his uh, intercepting uh, intercepting strikes, like the wide rights. It's kind of like how Justin Gagey is a very good pressure fighter, but if you negate the leg kicks, his uh, footwork isn't really all that great at cutting you off. 
Yeah, so well, one other thing I'd like to add about Foreman Ollie, because, I mean, we're we're not talking about that fight, and we're skipping right to the fight he has after that against Lyle. But the other thing that, like, Ollie could do against Foreman is, like, Ollie kind of also realized Foreman isn't great on the inside, and if I manipulate grips and, like, use that to create just enough space to, like, get some pot shots in and while controlling you, there there's a limit to your range, too. And it's easier said than done. It took a very, very disciplined effort, but, like, it, it shows, like, an understanding that although Foreman was a, was a monster, he wasn't unstoppable. Yeah, and I think he also wore on Foreman in the clinch. And uh, that just showcases just how strong Ali himself was. It wasn't just technique he had to rely on in the clinch. He was also just a massively strong guy as well. And uh, I think any other fighter that wouldn't that doesn't necessarily possess the same attributes Ali had would fail by trying to implement the same game plan that Ali did. I would also add Ali had... This is something I've always felt that never really failed him. While Ali, Ali got slower, Ali still had a really fantastic connection between the speed he did have and his strength. Like, I've noticed some fighters that are very fast. There, there's a period where they use the speed on you and then they transition into their strength. There's kind of a disconnect. Like, that yeah. might m- might sound a bit awkward, but, like, one of the reasons that John Jones is very, very dangerous as a clinch fighter is because the speed he does have, he can transition so quickly from the speed he has to the strength he has that when he's in the clinch, his, his transitions are fantastic. They're natural. They're a threat. They're intuitive. It was the same thing with Ali. The other thing I'd add is um, just as we kind of showed that even though in, in Nor- um, Norton in some respects was very canny and very intelligent and very good at shutting people down, uh, Foreman disarmed him by taking away a couple of specific things. And in particular, really bullying the fact that, you know, Norton's bladed stance meant once you pushed him square on, on the ropes, there was a transition period where he's going from bladed, st- you know, more bladed stance, which was his natural, to squared stance. And that took away a lot of his natural comfort with moving left, right, trying to disengage with lateral movement on the ropes. Ali didn't do the same thing technically, but he did the same thing conceptually. He understood that while Foreman was exceptional in certain ways on the inside, he was actually quite limited in others, particularly, again, in terms of if you could disorientate his, you know, sense of setups with right-hand leads. So it's that same thing. It's like finding, it's like a, it's like George Foreman was a tank and Ali found the one part of the tread that he could just, you know, damage. And then the whole thing comes unchained. Yeah. And the thing with uh, Foreman, naturally, is that every time someone sits down to discuss Foreman, Ali always comes up. (laughs) It's just kind of inevitable, because uh, his career is so inextricably tied to that specific fight, which he lost. But uh, I guess uh, I guess this is us trying to emphasize just how just, just why Foreman was considered such a menace in the heavyweight division at the time, and later as well. And how impressive it was that Ali was able to solve the problem. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, there's this this weird sort of dichotomy that people have about Foreman Ali, is that both that either, it's kind of either or, and people are kind of trying to have both, in that Ali beat him handily and easily, while also kind of, that the whole this whole thing, this whole argument, the values to win, really. Mm. <laughs> it, it took a lot of effort. <laughs> and, and also, a... 
So yeah. if you have a real intellectual process, you can have both. You can acknowledge Foreman's greatness while also recognizing how hard that win was and Ali's yeah. greatness. Yeah, and uh, it's either people circling to uh, is that, uh, to saying that Ali beat him handily because he had the better plan, the better the better tools, he was more technical, he was a better fighter overall, etc., etc. And there's also people who insist that, uh, no, the, that's the general audience, I, I suppose, that uh, it was Ali basically getting the tar beating out of, beating out of him throughout the fight until he just... Uh, until Foreman was uh, until Foreman punched himself out, it was uh, a mix of both. Genuinely, it was a mix of both. I think this is something that Ryan and and Feno from uh, from the fight side. So I'm always going to fuck up his name. Sorry, man. Love you. Um, they 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 always frame this. Maybe not so much like in public, but they always frame this when they're talking to the chat. Um, fighters are problems to be solved, and it is is not in itself a good way to look at fighting because some fighters aren't problems. They're just kind of an incoherent mess of jagged attributes that just do things. Uh, today's fight was a really good example of that between the Korean zombie and, uh, you know, it, uh, a certain certain fighter who discovered body punching works far too late that I will not name out of disgust. But um, it's probably... His name's very similar to mine. It's very, very similar to mine. <laughs> um, I think, you know, and, and the way that... that, that you know, uh, two colleagues mentioned present it, which I think is a lot better, is to talk about fighters as asking questions, and 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 the problem is in answering the questions rather than in quotes solving the fighter. Almost no fighter ever gets solved, although you know occasionally you get a phrase of this foreman. But many fighters are beaten because somebody's able to answer the questions they bring to the table. Yeah, it's. Uh... It's something I always like to emphasize is that fighting is always a dialogue, really. Sometimes, sometimes someone is just more fluent overall and as such is able to argue more coherently and more cleanly and just, just dance circles around his, uh, his opponent. But uh, sometimes there comes a, a certain someone who just maybe may not be as fluent overall but has the precise answers to the precise questions you're trying to ask of him and and that's why somebody like foreman is a genuinely great fighter because if you wanted to beat him and in, in, in particularly in his prime um you had to answer those fucking questions and you had to work for it it's also why maybe to go back to somebody like uh jose aldo there are many people who disagree with the uh, fight site's opinion of jose aldo and one one point that gets brought up a lot is um well he lost he lost a lot. And it's like, well, firstly, you're going to lose a lot if you keep fighting into your old age. Foreman lost a few times himself. But secondly, old age in five years, of course. But but secondly, how do you lose? Like, is beating you easy or is it hard? Do you have to work for it or does it come for free? These are important indicators for somebody's greatness. And uh, not not to mention that uh, the greatest, quote-unquote himself, Muhammad Ali, lost quite a few times as well in mm. his prime also. Well, maybe post-prime, because there's an argument to be made that uh, the, the three years of his life were wasted by not fighting due to his political beliefs against the Vietnam War and all that stuff. But uh, uh, his comeback fight against Joe Frazier was, wasn't really... Uh, he had he's had quite a few subpar showings that made people think that he's, well, shot at the time. The first, the fight of the century, namely, and some of the fights that he he's had against Norton and other opponents at the time. 
I think a good way to approach this would be 99 times out of 100, if you want to be in the conversation for greatest, you have to keep fighting to the point you're, pa- you're past your prime because you'll never get a good enough resume otherwise. Yeah. And you're able to navigate around those deficiencies that you now have due to your age and due to, due to the mileage you've acquired over the years of fighting. And uh, I think Jose Aldo was able to demonstrate that he's able to do that, if only if only for at least seven minutes at a time. <laughs> <laughs> old man, it's, old man, it's time for you to die. I, I swear, Yan whispered into his ear, "How many times does somebody younger than twenty need to teach you this lesson, old man?" As he was beating him, that's what actually <laughs> made the umpire call the fight off. That's my head cannon. Oh, I'm sticking to it. Oh God. <laughs> um, okay, so yeah. So- Anyways. We have one fight left, and uh, it's a it's a doozy. Um, so Foreman versus Lyle. What do we got to say about Lyle? Besides Lyle being insanely gritty and genuinely one of the other hardest punchers ever. Yeah, uh, Ron Lyle. Uh, it's it was uh, a big puncher. Was uh, a crowd pleaser in a sense. Always rarely, if ever, had a boring fight. Uh, so this was uh, uh, also a massive fridge as well. If, well I, if, I, may, uh, if I may do my um, just as planned uh, meme, this is kind of why I introduced the concept of some fighters you can solve completely and some fighters you just have to answer the questions. I think it's a very fair analysis to say that Foreman versus Frazier is one of the most complete, dominating, and just nasty. I've completely solved this fighter we've ever seen in 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 high level boxing. I like. I think even the Foreman, uh, sorry, I think even the Fraser stands have to agree with that. This Lyle fight, <laughs> there's no solving Lyle. <laughs> this is uh, you have to answer the questions and you have to answer them, you know, until the fight's over. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Ron Lyle is that uh, is that student that doesn't necessarily understand the the questions presented, but he keeps <laughs> he keeps asking questions of his own. But what does that mean? But why? What if keep smashing? <laughs> so, Operator's screaming right now, imagining like half a dozen students she's taught. <laughs> I'm just screaming right now, imagining I half too. a dozen students are taught. I'm it's screaming like, uh, right now because I'm imagining half the students I taught. <laughs> I mean, it's like it, it doesn't. It's, he's not really like a, 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 an unteachable student. He's not a stupid student. <laughs> uh, it's like, and so out of professional pride, you sit there and and you go like, out of professional pride, it would reflect on me badly. It would be reflect on. It would reflect badly on me as a professional to not teach this guy. <laughs> because there is potential in him, but he just won't get it. <laughs> so that's what, okay. That's what we're, that's what what we're the... saying. What we're saying is this fight is going to have a lot of big punching, and it's insane. It, this fight is genuinely crazy. Um, yeah, and this is this is genuinely just Foreman punching his way out of trouble. And yeah, remember, it's, it's Foreman a... comes across as a remarkably erudite, well-spoken, and genial old chap how the hell did he get through that when his chin took fights like this who knows yeah so he's uh, 70 years old he's been in wars like the the one he's had with Ra- with uh, ron lyle <laughs> all of them that went longer than two rounds yeah and uh, <laughs> he took a tremendous beating against uh, muhammad ali he fought well into old age he fought until he was uh, 45 i think 47 almost 50 
took about 10 years off in between uh, his careers because it's it can be argued that uh, Foreman had two careers uh, one in his one uh, when he was in his prime and one he was uh, that well post prime took tremendous beatings against fighters much younger than him also tremendous punches fighters like Evander Holyfield or like uh, Tommy Morrison and uh, he's still lucid he's still well spoken and um He's still on the ball. Just so, just... yeah. So if you want to follow along with this one, um, yeah, it's on YouTube. It gives the date with Foreman Lyle full fight. The account name is Kyle nine five one four zero. It's our boy um, three for us. No, it's not actually Kyle. I should know. I did not ask him, and I know his actual YouTube. It's okay. Um, so if you want to follow along and enjoy the carnage. Three, two, one, goes. Just for the record, I'm going to have it as my head cannon that this is actually one of Carl's alt accounts. It's just he's got old man poison brain and forgot the login. <laughs> I actually have been going through Kyle's boxing YouTube channel, and oh, which is uh, Flea Boxing. I highly recommend everyone yeah, check cool it channel. out. Yeah, there's the, so much cool fights in there. Yeah, a lot of. Junk. I wait for the message where he's saying, "Fuck you!" I wouldn't forget the login. I'd forget the account name in like two weeks. Look at that. Hey, <laughs> Look, and he is so mad. Look at him. Oh man, I lost to this guy. Yeah, and uh, the commentator. Fuck, I forgot his name. A very famous, uh, the very fa- famous commentator. Howard Cassell. The yeah, famous Howard Cassell. My voice is very, you know, like this. I was born as a fairy child. Not gonna lie, I just realized that George Foreman's career might be the best example of what's that wonderful meme? Is it Black Don't Crack? You know, reference to, like, African-American people <laughs> who look just amazing in their old age. Yeah. Uh, and uh, here's Ken Norton looking incredibly, incredibly disgusted at having to do this. Because Howard Cassell will not shut up about uh, how Foreman was able to demolish Ken Norton while Ken Norton is sitting right beside him in the commentary booth. <laughs> <laughs> to be well, fair, Ken, Ken Norton's a fairly good sport about it. Well, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's, uh, he's as much of a good sport as he can be about it, uh, as devastating a loss as that was. Potentially a life altering beating. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you remember the time he beat the shit out of you? Yes, yes, I do. I I do, Howard. Can you tell me some further details about the matter? Hey, Mr. Uh, Norton. Mr. Norton, do you remember how Mr. Foreman beat the shit out of you? Somebody should subtitle this as Norton going, shaking my head, the things I need to do to get money from these crackers. (laughs) Just just a close-up of Norton going... (laughs) Just, what's that Evanescence song? (laughs) These wins don't seem to you. Just that going through his head like on the ticket tape. Oh dear. There's Ron Lyle. Yeah. Oh, by the way, if you want to know how crazy of a man Lyle is, Lyle also had a shootout like this same year with Shavers, the other big puncher, (laughs) and like And he won that too, but it was also it was almost as crazy as this one. For a minute there I thought you actually meant like a guns shootout. I was like they fought and they shot at each other in the same year? <laughs> I mean, it is Ron Lyle. It wouldn't surprise me. Uh, Ron Lyle, what a guy. Yeah, George, so, uh, George Foreman this, coming again, off a devastating loss. 
Uh, yeah, not in the best state of mind for this fight, uh, according to him, to the man himself, fell wasn't into a deep depression. Wasn't Ali ringside this fight yelling things at Foreman the whole time? <laughs> <laughs> well, he was there for the five uh, men, five men against Foreman bout. He certainly was there. He was present I, there. I hope. I hope. I hope Ollie was ringside just yelling, yelling at George. George, lower your damn arms. I feel like he would actually keep that classic running commentary like, Motherfucker, are you trying to get knocked out here? What the hell is wrong with you? You were ten times better when you fought me and I still beat your ass. <laughs> <laughs> like, I've always just imagined like... um, Well, that's, what, that's essentially what he did for the uh, infamous... Exhibition match Foreman had against five five uh, journeymen. Yeah, I think like I, I've just always imagined that like Ali's trash talk is a really eloquent, hyper hyper like specialized version of the trash talk when it's really good on the Boondocks because it has so much of the same energy. <laughs> like we're going to go over exactly how I beat your ass in explicit detail, and you better shut up and enjoy it. Uh, I mean. Good trash talkers are fairly rare in combat sports because you, you won't, wouldn't see the new Oscar Wilde come from combat sports, but mm. Ali came close. And I think in order to be consistently good at trash talk, you need to have an element of self-awareness and humility that Conor McGregor has never had, which is why his shtick got really old really quick. Yeah, and uh, his shtick is generally just way more crass. It's just... It's it's kind of like a, a bad impression of a guy Richie character, which in itself is a bad impression of how actual real people act in the UK. Well, naturally, uh, uh, Conor McGregor isn't from the UK, but you get what I'm I mean. I'm trying to remember if Guy Ritchie had a hand at Bruges. No, no, he didn't. It was uh, it was uh, the uh, McDonough brother, one of the McDonough oh, brothers. That makes perfect sense. It was far too smart to be a Guy Ritchie hey. film. Of course, naturally. So so and anyways, uh, Lyle, Lyle is um yeah. So some things Lyle's been doing so far is like he hasn't really let Foreman work too much on the front foot, even though he kind of got wobbled a bit there. But it's like yeah. he's mostly been like not letting Foreman he's, set, he's not like in his face. He's constantly in his face. When Foreman takes a step forward, Lyle takes a step forward, which is a really good way to dissuade pressure. Like I yeah, and he's also doing like some of the lessons with like punching over like Foreman's arms. Yeah, and it he's also. also Doing lots just, of punch and clutch. It does a really good job of highlighting that, like, Lyle might not have been the most procedurally intelligent fighter, but he had a very good instinct for fighting. Because he's, you know, at its most basic level, at, at its most monkey brain level, he's kind of recognizing that, like, the foreman, the foreman approach is not necessarily snowballing in the sense foreman needs to snowball, but the more you can interrupt the foreman train, the more space you've got to work and think. That's why, yeah, meeting his it's aggression also, with forward pressure. It's, it's all about... It's just, foreman has his own kind of sense of chaos, but it's like Lyle brings his own, like, greater kind of chaos to that fight, and it's, it doesn't let foreman fight that pace that he wants it, to be at. It's, it's him breaking foreman's rhythm oh. by accelerating. Now, massive overhand by Lyle. Oh. Foreman is in all kinds of trouble right now. Uppercut by Foreman, off the back foot. Actually, really slick. And now Foreman, Foreman is trying to manipulate Lyle in the clinch. Big, big right to the body. Massive left hook. 
It's interesting to me how often, like, like obviously this is the benefit of hindsight, but it's interesting to me how often Lyle is happy to reset into punch and clunch, even on the ropes, when yep. he's got a good combination going. I think that really highlights, like, the instinctive read of Lyle in this fight is do that not is the let one. the snowball go. Do not let like, it It's kind of go. like, yeah, it's like if, they, oh, you're going to touch me? Fuck you. I'm just going to hit you. So you're going to frame like that? Oh, fuck you. I'm just going to hit you. And, and to be fair, in comparison to, again, a, a certain Dan person, he's, you know, he's essentially pushing into boxing's equivalent of a takedown while he's got the lead, which changes the dynamics a little bit. Hey, if you want to know who this Dan person is, you can sign up for our Patreon for $3 a month. <laughs> and Hacks will personally tell you if you ask him. Fuck off. <laughs> I don't want to be reminded of that fight. Because what's going to happen is I'm going to respond, and then Serum's going to be like, oh boy, another discussion I can turn into talking about the New England cartel. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, look at how... Just, uh... Just how Look at bad how, is Calvin Lyle is now pressuring. Lyle is now pressuring. And it's not really, quote-unquote, intelligent pressure. He's just moving forward and punching. But it's, it's, yeah. it's working for him. It's kind of a good yeah. contrast between the pressure of Foreman, which is more methodical, more disciplined, yep. is built on stages. Lyle's just kind of getting in there and fucking shit up. Because he's a fridge yeah, with arms. Like he's not a, he's not afraid to like take one to give one because it's like I can hit hard too. It's like and that's it's not like he's not defending, he's defending fairly well in the front foot. Like it's he, also the thing it's, is so it's just form, interesting how both fighters are so comfortable with this being a I punch you punch at points. Yeah, sometimes it's people frequently frequently talk about how Foreman was a bully and that Ali exposed that he's a bully, but no. Both, both of look look at the way they're fighting, both of them. Foreman went on the on the back foot, and he's not melting, like someone who's not uh, accustomed to being pressured would melt. Oh, oh, massive uppercut off the back yeah. foot so, once again. Yeah, so like Foreman's been like, round, playing with that jab, playing with that jab, and like kind of stiff arming him at a bigger look range. How Lyle he, can counter. Look at how so. he works him on the ropes. An excellent contrast to the way Lyle worked for him on the ropes. He's jabbing, jabbing, jabbing. He's setting punches up. He's setting power shots up. It, it's also interesting to note, looking at this with the benefit of hindsight, we can see, I'm not going to say concrete evidence, but we can see things that might make us go, hmm, how, how good was Foreman on the, on the inside at this stage in his career? Because Foreman is keeping that real solid sense of distance when he's poised and measured. So you can kind of see what Ali might have seen and, and could have built on. Yeah, and uh, one interesting uh, thing I have to point out is that Foreman's uh, longest sort of uh, sort of mentor, so Foreman's sort of mentor for the longest time and uh, uh, chief sparring partner was uh, was uh, Sonny Liston, and that's an interesting uh, thing to bring up because uh, look at the, because Foreman frequently said that the only person to get him to consistently back up and make him box was Sonny Liston. And you can sort of see it, sort of see that sparring experience with Sonny Liston show itself in this fight, in the second round. Punch. Yeah. And also that. <laughs> oh, anyways... 
Anyway, so it's just Cam kind of interesting. Bro- this is such a broad strokes fight. So many Foreman stro- fights are broad strokes fights. It says a lot about his process. Yeah, he's not trying to outfight you in specific tactical moments. He's just trying to fight his fight, trying to fight his fight, and that's it. All right, Dan, what were you going to say before we were all mean to you? I was going to do a Howard Cassell impression. It's like, so, Ken Norton, how does it feel knowing that Lyle can do better than you can? Uh... Pullman's getting wild now. Yeah. Just trying like to the, retaliate. The other, the other problem is, like, Foreman, like, uh, although, like, his timing's good, like, he still kind of throws his punches kind of looping. And Lyle's been throwing straighter, and that's part of the reason Lyle's been winning a lot of these exchanges, unless Foreman gets that space. I mean, Form- Foreman connects a lot, but because uh, Lyle's reach is... Uh, a- Foreman has a reach advantage, but because he throws so... Uh, he strikes he strikes loop so much, Lyle was able to get inside of them and uh, clatter Foreman. It's also another thing why the right hand laid was such a clever adaptation oh. by Ali. Oh, boy. Serious Usada Pekora versus uh, Hushimarine vibes here. I'm gonna beat the shit out of you. I'm gonna beat the shit out of you. Do you want me to beat the shit out of you? But Foreman actually understands that looping punches isn't really the answer here. He's trying to he's trying to maintain his distance. He's trying to connect with good, sharp connections as opposed to just big punch. (laughs) Lyle's on the ropes now. Foreman working the body, working the levels. Um, yeah, it's um, big right. The, the, the opening is still there from the elite yep, fight. Foreman's struggling so much to like establish the other parts of his game. The only thing he's having consistent success Another with right. is like stiff arming into the jab. It's just like. Because Lyle is so willing to throw back, like he can't break rhythm as easily. And as a as a as a fridge kin, as he might advertise himself on his Tumblr or Twitter account, Lyle is not all that impressed <laughs> by stiff arming into the jab. Nope. Mm. Yeah, and the thing about uh, the Ali fight is that it changed people's perception of how to beat Foreman for a long time now. Because now that uh, now that Lyle is standing on the ropes, you could hear the commentary go, "Oh, Lyle is playing possum." Lyle is trying to employ the game plan, etc. And uh, that that it it's true in in a sense, but it's not really like the difference is Lyle Ali could kind of pacha, whereas like Lyle can kind of get away with this a bit just because he punches like a freaking truck. So yeah, it's like... he limits his limiting Foreman's offense with his own power. Okay, here's where things get fucking crazy. You know, it's interesting because um, this is, a, you know, a lot of a lot of fighters in mixed martial arts are wrestlers. That's what they do. They wrestle. Um, and one thing that I think that wrestlers really struggle to understand is using the threat oh, of sheer massive power ride by Lyle. to control exchanges. Then you watch yeah. this fight. Lyle t- uh, fought for a title once. He didn't win a title. He's in the heavyweight division, which is, you know, not super stacked compared to some other divisions. And he understands how to use power to... Th- oh, to Foreman is hurt. Oh. Foreman hmm, is he's hurt. doing it right now. Foreman's down. Oof. Once again, massive ride by Lyle. Stands him, sends him staggering. 
And th that, that example there is one way in which you can say plotting feet can really hurt you and kind of relying on a system of defense. Because once Lyle hurt Foreman, it was relatively easy, even though Lyle's footwork isn't the best, to crowd him and get him down. Yep. That's where plotting footwork can hurt you. Yeah. yeah like, in this situation, like Foreman, if Foreman was Foreman's more fleet footed, he would be able to circle out and kind of outfight at least. Mm -hmm. And because Lyle Lyle, is about as strong in the clinch, he can't be safe in the clinch as well. Yeah, and on the infight, especially. Lyle got a bit too aggressive there, so it allowed Foreman <clears throat> to like get that space. Oh, and exchange like, of hooks. Kind of, Hark. Like, Hark. Oh. Yeah, but see, Foreman was able to like, oh, change his stance. Nah. Lean back. <laughs> you can see that being set up four or five punches earlier, because notice how like Foreman was able to lean back a little, plant his stance, and throw that incredibly wide hook before the exchange that knocked Lyle down. Oof. Yeah, it's like positioning the head um, in like, kind to of the a body. squared posture. Oh. Foreman is weirdly good off the back foot when he's punching. It's interesting. Yeah, his feet, I think, hurt him more than than his punching form on the back foot in situations yep. like this. This is also why, like I've said this before, at, I still think the way he manipulates his guard. Yes, <laughs> and, and he's always active. He's not yeah. fast, but he is smooth, and smooth is speed when you get punched in the face. Oh, he repositioned to hit him with hooks. Oh, oh! Another thing, Foreman does oh, incredibly oh. well. Oh, jeez, he swung way too life. wide there, goddamn. <laughs> Another thing Foreman does really well, if, he, if something's working, he'll just double up on it or triple up on it. Oh! Oh! Oh, oh that snapped Foreman's head right back. Jesus Christ, how does Loyal oh, Jesus from the guard? Oh! He should be down. He should stay down from that shot, but no. Nah. Fuck. Yeah, I can't up. wait for somebody to write a story about this fight who may also write about mixed martial arts saying this type Lyle. of athleticism is cheating. Lyle face planted Foreman and he still got up. Bye. God damn it, Tim. And I made the joke about athleticism is cheating. You're supposed to comment. No, 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 no. no look <laughs> yeah. at this. Look at this. Look at this. I'm too busy. I'm too busy getting hyped. Bam. See, it's those, those wide shots set each other up. Like. People really underestimate how useful that is. Yeah, athleticism isn't really cheating unless you're using it in a... Well, you, you can cheat your way out of bad spots by relying on your athleticism, but using athleticism is also a skill. And it's a skill that both these guys are, are employing very well right now. You know, it's kind of interesting because I look at the this fight, right? Um... And, and I wonder, if neither of these guys were able to knock each other out, how would the fight change? Because it just reminds me of that point I think I've made about Canelo a few times. Exceptional fighter, but because the fact he knows that he's probably never going to get knocked out because his chin's insane, and he knows that he'll always win the judges' scorecards, he's <laughs> able to fight in a different way. Whereas these yeah. guys don't have the option of doing that. It's, it's, an, it's interesting how that changes the dynamics of the they, fight. They That's both... Not they both understand that they just have to go to town in order to win. Mm. Like, power, using power to limit exchanges is good, but as this fight goes on and on and on, that becomes less and less relevant because they both realize that they can kill the other guy Foreman, in a second. One of, the things, one of the things Foreman's been consistently doing is, like, manipulating that, like, clinch to, like, 
turn or like smother Lyle. He, he's trying to. Get, he also gets better positioning by manipulating Lyle. Oh. Oh. Problem. Using the clinch, but he's way too foot slow to get out of there. In 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 uh in, in time, and his guard. Uh, Like and, and when their hands go low, the way they bring them back up again, like there's an almost shaking in it. Bowman. Oh, this this is the end for Lyle right now. Yep. Down he goes. Oh. I was yeah, like, what is the difference when? is whenever like they got hurt, like Foreman was always more measured in like handling it. But yeah. it's also like he had a few more safe options, but like it was still like Razor, razor close. It's also like when you get chin checked, like getting chin checked repeatedly to the to the chin, like your face, your head is one one type of impact, right? And 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 a lot of whether or not you survive those shots, once you get hit, does come down to not chance, but stuff you can't control. But oh, if the other guy just goes to town on your body, like the way Foreman did there, oh man. That is so much harder to recover from, in my opinion. I mean, uh, for someone like Jan, he just ignores it. <laughs> Peter Jan just tanks body shots. Hey, and he doesn't hey, care. George. Hey, George, how does it feel losing to Ali and winning one again? Fuck, my head hurts. What's always what always impresses me about Foreman is that how 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 eloquent he is even after taking so much damage after a crazy fight like this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He he's he, I mean I guess it makes sense why he became a preacher because uh he kind of he kind of has this talent of coming up with uh really eloquent statements and speeches on the spot. I was also going to say, you know, like if you've still got your brain function after this level of damage, you'd probably believe in God too. <laughs> I mean, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, the reason why Foreman had a religious epiphany was that he had a heat stroke, didn't he? Uh, it was against uh, Jimmy Young. He lost One of the, the fight few by things decision. that having a cheetah chin won't protect you from. <laughs> <laughs> Oh shit! If I, if I'm doing the wrong thing in my boxing career, Lord, send me a sign. Okay, motherfucker, here's some heat strike. All right, <laughs> fair point. I will take the lesson in the spirit is given. Uh, 
Yeah, so um, that was one of the greatest shootouts um, basically ever. Um, they both should be dead after that, but, you know, that's not how things work. But um, George Foreman, um, he's something. What a beast. He's, like, genuinely one of my favorite fighters ever. Like, I could talk about Foreman all day. I also think we need to appreciate that after all that we've talked about Foreman's process and about using power in intelligent ways, it seems very fitting that the way in which he ended this fight was a barrage just... of punches that was not just, oh, me smashing chin, head, die. It was, oh, that's a, oh, time to hit this guy in the body. <laughs> time to bang this fucker out. Bam! Bam! <laughs> just, it's so great, this finishing sequence. It's just him punching him over and over with the left hook. <laughs> die, 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 die. Please don't get back up. Please don't get back up. Please don't, don't get back up. Oh, don't thank you God. Get up from this. And, he, and oh, in the God. end, he's like, he's, not, he's, he's still not dead. Time to punch lower. Oh, I love it. Like... How many fighters in MMA would have just kept punching the same place the whole time, wondering why it didn't work? <laughs> TJ Dillashaw versus Cody Garbrandt, too. He didn't, he, he didn't die. He didn't die. I need to blame socialism in my Instagram account after I lose. <laughs> well, I think we learned something new today. Ted Norton still sucks, and Joe Frazier was overrated. They both lost to Foreman. Boxing needs to be banned. Boxing, boxing needs to be banned. Boxing should be banned, except for Ali, because, uh, you know, America. Heavyweight yeah. is a mistake. Howard Cassell, Howard Cassell famously campaigned against boxing after Ali retired with, uh, well, with what severe a... Parkinson's and brain damage. What a two-faced bitch. I mean, okay. I think that, you know, it's it's interesting actually to highlight something there. A lot of people do mention that Ali, you know, suffered a lot of um, brain damage. And, you know, obviously it's very true. But uh, I always find it interesting how many people miss the fact that I think the real casualty to Ali from him fighting on was not the um, the brain damage. It was the uh, liver damage. He took his kidneys. Sorry, it was, it was his kidneys, wasn't it? Kidneys his kidneys there. were in yeah. terrible shape. They were falling apart by the end of, by the end of his career, and his doctor, of, yeah. and uh, his doctor actually quit. His personal doctor quit in disgust uh, when Ali refused to uh, to address this issue and kind of you know stop fighting. But uh, yeah, you could argue that it was kind of, it was kind of uh, an out for him, just like I'm washing my hands off you. But either way. I, I got nothing. I uh, punches are fun and uh, <laughs> sad. Uh, yeah, just it's interesting how out of all three, out of the big three of the golden age of uh, heavyweight, uh, Foreman is the only one who really ended ended uh, ended up well off in good health, despite arguably suffering the biggest setbacks. In his career, and uh, it could be argued that him taking such a such a long break of uh, 
break from fight from fighting is what sort of preserved preserved his health in a sense. I think and, at uh, least a large part of it is also like all three of them did have a degree of self-awareness and self-introspection that came from difficult fights. In a mm -hmm. weird way, Foreman had it the earliest. Yep. He was uh, very young. He was undefeated coming into that fight. And uh, he only fought like three or four times after losing to Ali and then just quit. So he was. People, many people wrote him off as a sort of a wasted potential type of thing. And then he came back, and that just—that's uh, what secured his greatness in the eyes of many. And uh, what's also interesting is that I, I mean, his style, uh, in a sense, also contributed to him to his uh, good health later down the line because most of his fights were first-round finishes, <laughs> where he yeah. didn't really take much damage. And it's it's probably still fair, I think, to argue that Foreman actually did have a fair bit of wasted potential. The difference is that that wasted potential he was able to parlay into a life of wealth, success, and family. So, uh, you know, I'm people that think they are, and and there do seem to be a lot of people that actually almost speak about, oh, I wish Foreman had stayed on as they felt they were entitled to him to, f to fight more. I hope every single one of you gets thrown into a threshing machine like in Dusk Chapter <laughs> 2 and gets turned into <laughs> filth, because you are filth. X, no one except us is going to get that reference. We need, to be we, need to, we need to be accessible for the viewership at home. No, I'm going to give you wrong, and I'll tell you why you're wrong, because we're talking about boxing, not Miss Martial Arts. This is a fight for boomers, and boomers like retro FPS games. They'll, hey, they'll if you want to understand Hacks' is archaic references, you can pay $3 to enter our Discord and ask that Hacks. Won't help them. That really won't help them. Ed's mm. like, shut the fuck up. Stop, people. Stop it. Dan's trying to sell the product. I'm going to get fired again. Uh, Again, you got fired before. How I get fired like every week. I, mean, I get yeah. fired every week. Oh god! The problem is that I don't actually ever ask or expect to be paid. So, you know, Ed doesn't have to <laughs> write tax file statements like when I when I get fired again. I don't think he, he actually writes does. any statements. I shouldn't have I'm... said that because the IRS is going to come after us now. I'm imagining Ed trying to do his taxes now, and it's very funny. <laughs> okay, imagine, um... Form, imagine Foreman doing tax, doing his taxes. Just <laughs> George Foreman Grill. George, <laughs> well, occupation killing people. Occupation being a fridge. <laughs> no, that'd occupation. be Ron Lyle's taxes. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Occupation uh... for Ali getting robbed by uh, Don King. Yeah, Don King, burning uh, hell. Don King, we'll talk about him one fucking day, I swear. Um, yeah. Don fucking King. All right, so I think I think we covered anything. Um, anything we anything. all got to say? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, well, to summarize, I suppose uh, it's we watched a few fights that were fairly illustrative of what of uh, the different facets that Foreman had in his prime and his youth. And uh, Foreman is really not an easy fighter to, su to summarize because he's had such a long career. He's had two careers, in fact. But he's uh, the type of fighter who is more than the sum of his parts. He's uh, the type of fighter who possesses underrated craft, but he's also a fighter that, that is still uh, carry was carried in large part by his in innate gifts, by the innate gifts that he possessed. And... Uh, 
it's those gifts working in tandem with his uh, with his mind with the mind that he's had for fighting is what made him so great and it's this mind outside of fighting is what's uh, what secured his wealth right now his wealth and health and the health of his family uh just uh, a very interesting character through and through and uh once again i would highly re- recommend you watch the documentary about him that's just literally just called foreman read about him watch more of his fights and he's also an interesting case study in how uh for those uh newer fans and mma fans who kind of uh, are way more exposed to the arguments of uh, athleticism being cheating big power being cheating and uh, possessing those uh traits being a recipe for having uh for being less technical than the fighter could have been just watch foreman and uh, for those and every fighter should study foreman to understand how they can secure their their wealth and health outside of fighting as well it's just uh, the gold standard for uh, retiring retiring into a life of comfort and uh, wealth and uh, good health and answering boxing questions on twitter <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, just just follow his twitter it's just it's it's hilarious it's i mean imagine how he, he's a, he's a really that, wholesome guy he's a really yeah, wholesome guy he's kind of he's kind of like imagine if superman was a real person that's what foreman is <laughs> and he's he sometimes tweets such innocent such earnest things that's from any other person's mouth they would sound like either naive or cringy or you know uh detached from reality but because foreman looks like he could lift and flip over a truck you believe him oh my god oh my god i actually just realized that foreman is the real life are you winning son dad Uh... (laughs) yes (laughs) he really is somebody photoshop that please Uh... Uh, it's like oh no i mean foreman is just the type of person that would uh see you uh you know lose it a game and rage quit from call of duty and pat you on the back put his hand on your shoulder I did that once to my whole career <laughs> and and go let let me tell you about that time when i rage quit at boxing am i beat my ass <laughs> let me talk to <laughs> let's go grill some stuff on my brand new george foreskin grill son <laughs> <laughs> this is just more evidence that George Foreman should do a guest episode where he's the host of the Magic School Bus, teaching people about brain damage. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Okay. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, I, I got nothing. Hope you all enjoyed this episode of uh, Punch Out, you know. <laughs> uh, uh, and if you... If- we want. I want to make more episodes about Foreman and more episodes about fu- punching. But Dan doesn't want to bully him on social media. Subscribe to his Twitter, hmm. at typewriting da, to bully him. You can't, you can't subscribe. You follow. You fucking nerd. Who cares? I don't give a shit. It's not my first language. I get to. I get to say whatever I want. Yes, yeah, stop being oh, racist, oh. Dan. Jesus Christ! There you go again. Every fucking time, you have to figure out something am, racist. Every single episode. Ra- I keep saying I'm racist, and it's like you all don't believe me or something. Hexerized said that uh, Ron Lyle went monkey brain. A black man went monkey brain on another black man, and then then is still more racist uh, racist than Hex. <laughs> and Hex, and Hex is Australian. <laughs>
Wait, hold on a minute. How is how am I more racist than that? We should end this conversation immediately and then argue off camera about this because this is an internal colleagues affair and we are currently breaking some kind of moral code right now. Remember so when you called? Remember when you called Japanese hornet killers Japs? That's, Excuse me. No, I, that that's why you're more racist. Not, you actually use slurs. At least be more roundabout about your race. This is slander. I did not say that, but I did complain about murder hornets. Because you know they're hornets. You, you caught him oh. in, in those exact those were your exact words. I hate Jap murder hornets. That's what you said. <laughs> Honestly, Honestly, oh god, Metal Hornet wouldn't be a great bad alias for Inoue. Oh god, I am racist. Yeah, Inoue is really, uh, I mean, monster. Monster is kind of a boring, boring nickname. Everyone is called a monster, a pitbull, a killer, a body snatcher, etc., whatever. Just, just call yourself a murder hornet. <laughs> you're, you're tiny okay. and you punch hard. I would love to hear, I would love to hear Lucas or Matt uh, come up with like a way to philosophically muse about the appropriateness of that alias. Somebody please pay for my <laughs> next therapy. You are going to be a rich man. <laughs> yeah. Either way, uh, subscribe to our Patreon <laughs> if you want to listen to to more. To, if, Patreon is what lets us create this uh, this this bullshit. And this this rambly messes that these we these mistakes, these mistakes, yeah, <laughs> these happy uh, little accidents. Just just uh, uh, just fund our mistakes. <laughs> it's uh, three dollars. Three dollars gets you access to all our stuff that we've released on the on uh, on our Patreon. Ed does uh, several. He does two series right now. I think his uh, ongoing series are bad calls and uh, resume review. Resume review is where he evaluates various MMA fighters and, uh, well, uh, evaluates what sort of a position they faced and what career they have, they've had and kind of ranks them on, on a rough like uh, tier list where they belong. And uh, Bad Coles is him evaluating the controversial decisions that uh, plague MMA to this day because uh, MMA judging is awful and MMA judges do not understand their own, the, their own criteria by which they should uh, judge these fights. So subscribe to that and watch that. Sometime in the future, maybe we'll also do a pugilistic uh, classics episode where we actually post a video of the fight, so it's easier for you to watch along. But uh, I don't know. Uh, maybe some some uh, bonus Patreon episodes uh, about different fighters. Maybe bonus discussions as well. And uh, for five dollars per month, you get all that and also access to our Discord, where you can interact with our stuff and talk to us. And uh, listen to more insane ramblings and uh, just uh, steal our reaction pictures <laughs> that we have uh, a very expensive uh, collection of. So yeah, Dan, take it away. Yeah, uh, I got bullied and I was framed. Um, hope you all had fun, because uh, I, I did too. Cheers. Yeah, look forward to the next episode of Pugilistic Classics about, uh, I don't know, some obscure fighter or another. Uh, yeah, I appreciate you for listening. Okay, have a good day. Goodbye. Have a good one.